Prospect Pipeline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Prospect Pipeline here on the Flyers Broadcast Network. I'm Brian Smith. Bill Meltzer is with us as well, and we welcome you into this episode. It's been a while since we've done one of these uh, check-ins with the Flyers farm system, and it's just due to everything that's been going on, just like everything else. Uh, uh, things have been paused, and uh, now we finally are at a point, I think, where uh, there's some stuff to talk about with some of the uh, Flyers prospects and what might be coming down the pike for this hockey team. Uh, as we record this, it was the uh, day after uh, the NHL's return to play announcement. So uh, that is all out there now. And we have an idea of what we're possibly looking at in terms of a resumption of the 2019-2020 season, at least in terms of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And when that will happen still remains to be seen. But uh, plans are now underway for Several different aspects, I think, of various things, not, uh, not the least of which is uh, what teams will be doing with some of their prospects moving forward. And, Bill, I guess we'll just start with that in terms of how this uh, return-to-play announcement affects things for the Flyers in terms of their farm system. Of course, the American Hockey League shut things down for good a couple of weeks ago. Uh, not really in the same boat as the NHL in that uh, the AHL's playoffs are almost entirely – uh, gate-driven in terms of revenue. So playing in front of empty buildings didn't make a ton of sense for that league, so they decided to wrap things up and uh, move on toward uh, whenever their 2020-2021 season will start. But what does seem to be the case for the uh, AHL players that are uh, on two-way contracts or on entry-level contracts or what have you is that the uh, NHL is looking at a you know one of the adjustments they'll make heading into this playoff situation uh, does appear to be expanded rosters and not necessarily having a squad of black aces in the traditional sense, if you will, guys that you can add or delete or whatever over the course of the playoffs, if need be. Uh, more of a uh, ex- expanded roster, perhaps up to 30 players that can just come in and out of the lineup as they please. And uh, you know, just curious as to your thoughts on what kind of position that puts the Flyers in? Uh, who do you think uh, – I think we probably have a pretty good idea of who will be on that list because we've seen a lot of guys come up for auditions this year as the Flyers tried to fill their third-line center spot, and they got a good look at a lot of people. But, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on what the Flyers might do with that new rule and uh, what the Phantoms uh, might be able to provide for the team? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, around the league without – without the uh, Calder Cup playoffs ongoing, I think you will see every team uh, that are among the 24 teams that will be, you know, playing when the league comes back, I, all 24 teams are going to need a third goaltender. So you're, gonna be, <laughs> you're in a situation where if your backup goes down, if your starter goes down, you're going to need a third guy. You're going to, you'll have a, a third goalie, you, you know, no goalies had the uh, ability right now to be able to take reps and get in practices or whatever, just because, Rinks, till very recently, were not available pretty much anywhere except for maybe Sweden. Um, so, you know, the Flyers and, and every other team that's still playing will be calling up a goaltender. If, if you look at the organization, I think I think Alex Lyon is is a lock. Um, the only other options would be Kirill Ustamenko, who's, you know, very young, who's 20-year-old rookie this year, and um, uh, Sandstrom. And he had a, uh, you know, he had a kind of an up-and-down rookie year, spent time in the ECHL and some time with the Phantoms. So 
Um, you know, and also Alex Lyon has a little bit of NHL experience and he came up and he won a big game for the Flyers this year against Colorado. So, you know, the one, the, so one guy who certainly is a lock would be Alex. Um, you know, I recently, the, uh, the Phantoms did a, a season ending, uh, media availability. And Alex was saying, you know, he's never been in that situation where he's kind of been the standby goalie for a, a playoff situation. Um, you know, and he's looking forward to that challenge if, if he is indeed the guy, the Flyers tab. So I think that's a, you know, I think Alex is pretty close to a lock to be one of the guys. So, you know, it could be a, it could be a bit of a challenge for any team to try to work a third goalie in uh, just in terms of getting him enough work to make him available, you know, if and when you need him. But, you know, but teams do have some experience with that. So I think that that's, uh, you know, basically a certainty that you would see Alex. Um, I, most teams are going to want to have probably an eighth defenseman available. Um, the Flyers with uh, Phil Myers now being healthy. Uh, they have a complement of seven defensemen to choose from. Um, assuming everybody would get through a training camp situation and the round robin in, in good shape. But um, over the course of the season, we saw uh, Mark Friedman come up a few times, and Mark played quite well for the team um, when he had the opportunity to. And um, I, I think that Elaine Vigneault was comfortable with what he saw from, from Mark. And Mark made the most of the opportunity when he had it. So I think that Mark would definitely be a guy who, who would come up. So, you know, the, in terms of how many forwards you would see come up, that would depend on what the number uh, of allowed call-ups will be, if it, if it will indeed be 30. Um, so you'll have, a, you'll have a few spots to play with there. I, I, I think that Connor Bunneman, um, who was actually, you know, at, at the time the pause hit on, on March the 12th uh, because Nate Thompson, who was, who was now healthy, but he was injured at the time, uh, was unavailable for that game. Connor Bunman was actually going to be the starting lineup in that game. And actually, Mark Friedman was with the team as the seventh defenseman. Um, and Shane uh, Bear would have played. But anyway, those, those two guys, I think I think for sure you'll see Connor Bunman come back. And I think you'll see Morgan Frost called up. Now, as to whether Morgan would get in any games or not, I don't think so, barring, you know, barring a couple of injuries. But I, I think that it would be great experience for him to be practicing with the team in a, in a playoff situation, um, you know, and, and available if you need him. You know, if, if you do have a couple of injuries, if you are looking for, you know, a, an offensive guy who could give you some power play duty or whatever you might need, he, you know, he had, he had some ups and downs as a rookie this year. I think more ups than downs if you, if you weigh everything. So I, I think he'd be a guy you would see come up as well. Um, so at that point, you're talking about four call-ups. If, uh, if there would be additional call-ups beyond that, get out to about 30 players. You, you could see a guy, Mikhail Vorobiev, as a possibility. Uh, Carson Torinsky started the year in the NHL. So there are, there's, there's a variety of guys you, you know, who, are, who are possible to come up. But I, but I think that those the, the guys that I just mentioned would be the guys who would be locks or pretty close to being locks. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things I saw anyway, and again, this is all still fluid, that they might have unlimited goaltenders and then 28 players. I don't know. It, it's, it would be interesting to see if the Flyers elected to try to bring back either Ustamenko or Sandstrom. I assume they're home, um, you know, at their home bases. I don't know what the, the process would be to get them back here. Um, you know, but uh, it, it is uh, obviously an unprecedented situation. So uh, it would be very interesting to see how the Flyers approach it over the next uh, few weeks. Looks like we've got at least uh, – uh, probably a month here until we get to that point anyway. So that, that's plenty of time for everything to change for the better or for the worse. You know, you never know what's going to happen here over the next four weeks. So we'll see how 
all of that develops. Um, just wanted to step into perhaps a, uh, a, a little bit of a wrap-up of the Phantom season, and it uh, probably doesn't do it justice to give it you know, a limited amount of time that we probably will here, but uh, obviously the Lehigh Valley Phantoms did not have the season that they would have hoped for, but the Flyers did see a good bit of, I think, improvement on several of their prospects there. Uh, if you could just kind of maybe sum that up for us a little bit in terms of what some of the uh, bright spots were for the Flyers organization in terms of the players that spent uh, a good part of the season with the Phantoms. Well, yeah, it, it was a season that started with a, a lot of promise. There was a, a lot of young talent in Lehigh Valley. Um, if, if you recall, Joel Farabee started the year for the Phantoms, wasn't there very long, but, uh, you know, started with the Phantoms. Phil Myers started the season with the Phantoms, and both guys came up rather quickly to the Flyers. Um, and then, then what happened after the, after the Phantoms got off to a you know, pretty solid start, first month or so of the season, they were in pretty good shape. And then in November and December, the bottom dropped out. A lot of it had to do with injuries. Um, Connor Bunneman had a high ankle sprain, and he missed a month and struggled for another month when he came back because he still was not feeling like himself yet. Um, Morgan Frost spent a lot of that time with the Flyers um, during, during that period of time. Morgan had a, a, a pretty extended stint with the team, which lasted until just after Christmas. And um, at one point, the, uh, the fans were so shorthanded just – due to attrition, injuries, call-ups, they were down four centers. None of their, none of their projected first four centers were available for, a, you know, was, I believe it was a couple weeks at one point. So, you know, it, it was tough. Goal, score, goal scoring, uh, you know, the bottom dropped out. Goals are very hard to come by. The, the bright spots on the team were really the blue line and the goaltending, the most consistent parts of the team over the majority of the year. And that, that's, you know, when you're evaluating an American League team, you're looking at two aspects. You're looking at how the, how the AHL team does, and that certainly was a big disappointment this season. And the, other, the flip side of the coin is, okay, how, how did your prospects come along over the course of the season? Um, you know, we touched, on, we touched on Morgan Frost, and I'll just, just wrap up Morgan by saying that, uh, you know, as he described it, he said that he took some big jumps this year, and then he would take little steps backwards. And I, I think that's, that's a fair and accurate self-description. Uh, the biggest thing with Morgan is just he needs a little more consistency in his game and continuing to evolve from being a junior player to a pro. You know, in the Ontario Hockey League level, he was used to having the puck all the time. Um, you know, when, when he posted a plus 70 one year and a plus 33 the next, a lot of that had to do with the fact that you could get the puck away from him. Um, it's not the same in the pros where you, you know, you're playing without the puck a lot more than you than you are at the junior level. The other part of it being at the junior level, Morgan could slow the slow play down to, to uh, his liking and then speed up again or make a play. You can't really do that at, at a pro level. You know, you have to keep your feet moving all the time. And Morgan is also not the biggest and, and strongest guy out there too. So, you know, some of the physical battles as well. And over the course of the season, I, th I think Morgan made a whole lot of progress. And there were stretches of the season where everything you know seemed to be clicking in with them, had a seven-game point streak early in the season, um, you know three points in his first two games with the Flyers, including a couple of goals, um, made the AHL All-Star game as a rookie, you know all that. He had a three-game goal streak in the second half, and I believe five points in five games at one stretch. And then there were some lulls. There were, there were some periods where Morgan had, you know, uh, some struggles, particularly without the puck. But I, I think that I think when you look 
in the aggregate, taking the season on a whole, it, it was very solid. And he's a guy I, I think you'll see challenging for a spot with the big team next year. You know, whether that will be at center, maybe they move him to wing, I don't know. But I think you'll see more and more of Morgan in the NHL level as he move forward. And, you know, sooner, hopefully sooner than later, he'll be a regular in the NHL. Um, we talked a little bit about Mark Friedman. He's in his third pro year this year. Uh, Mark was one of the really the brightest spots for the Phantoms this year. Uh, played a very consistent level, continued to improve his all-around game. Um, seemed not to be out of place in his games with the Flyers, maybe not on an analytical side, but, but to me, he, he passed the eye test as a guy who did not look out of place in the, the NHL level. I thought, I thought Mark was solid. Um, one guy who the numbers won't jump out at you at all, but was a guy who uh, Scott Gordon said was the most improved player on the Phantoms this year uh, was Isaac Ratcliffe. Isaac, uh, Isaac coming out of junior hockey, everybody will remember the, a year ago he had 50 goals in his draft plus two year. Um, he made a run at the Canadian World Junior Squad, although he didn't didn't make the roster. Um, and th- you know things came very easily for him at the junior level because he is so much bigger than guys he was playing against, and and because he has good hands and and all the rest of that. It was an eye-opening experience for him going to the pro level. Um, part of it being as big as he is with the, the length of stick that he uses, pucks are getting knocked away from him very quickly and very easily. Um, dealing with pucks around his feet, board play, net front play, uh, you know, right down the line. And he, you know, he, he looked pretty raw, actually. In, in training camp, he looked overmatched at times. Uh, there was a day in camp actually where Elaine Vigneault quite intentionally put uh, put Frost and Ratcliffe up against Sean Couturier and Claude Giroux, and they got a little bit of an education. Um, and as the season went along, you saw Ratcliffe improving in a lot of subtle ways. The, the scoring numbers didn't really come, except in you know maybe some modest improvement as the season went along. But he he improved a, a lot by leaps and bounds in his play without the puck. He became a regular part of the Phantoms' penalty kill. Um, he started to find things that worked for him, um, just in terms of being able to to maintain possession of the puck and um, find find some seams in the defense and all and all the rest of those things. You know, in the offensive end, uh, defensive sides of the puck. Uh, Scott Gordon has said that he thinks the offensive numbers will start to come, hopefully as soon as next year, and that he's on the right track to be in the NHL. You know, a lot of times with players the size of an Isaac Ratcliffe, it, uh, those players often tend to mature a little bit later. Uh, I think that's going to be the case with him. I don't know if he's going to jump to the NHL next year, but I think he'll be a, a much bigger part of the Phantoms' attack and all-around game. And, you know, he's developing the guy who you might see on an NHL penalty kill um, in the in the not-too-distant future. And, and if, it, you know, if he ends up being a, a bottom-six guy who, who contributes on the penalty kill and you know, can score a little bit of five on five. That's not the end of the road either for, for a second round pick. I, I think that, uh, you know, he has a unique set of skills and you, you want to see him apply those. I mean, those have been, those, those were, I guess, the two guys along with uh, Joel Farabee who went into the year with the most interest attached to them, but there were other players as well. You know, there were um, uh, guys like Mikhail Vorobiev who, you know, he said he's struggled at the NHL level to find his niche and, and find a regular spot. But I think this was his most consistent year in the American Hockey League level. He was a solid player for the Phantoms this year. Um, Germán Rubsov, um, unfortunately, had another injury-plagued year. 
He was off to such a good start as a rookie, separated his shoulder, had to have surgery, missed the rest of the year. This year, he never really clicked. He had a decent NHL camp. It just didn't seem to click for him at the AHL level, had another shoulder injury. Um, he had a, a personal situation with his girlfriend. He had to go back to Russia for a uh, – it was her, her, having to do with her family. He had to go back there for a, a period of time. So he never got untracked. That was kind of a disappointment this year. Um, David Kasha uh, had, a, I think, a, a pretty decent – maybe need a little more consistency as well, but, but a decent second season with the Phantoms. Showed a little bit of promise when it came up to the Flyers as well. Um, you know, we talked about Carson Swarovski. I mean, a whole, whole lot of young players, right? Um, and that, that's something that maybe a year from now you'll see um, several of these guys still in the AHL and hopefully taking on bigger roles. Taking a quick step back to the goaltending, um, those guys uh, that uh, we, we mentioned, other than Alex Lyon being Kira Listomenko and Felix Sandstrom, both had, uh, as you mentioned, kind of eye-opening seasons, and I think perhaps especially Ustamenko, uh, such that the Flyers actually – cleared out J.F. Berube so he could come up and get some more time at the American Hockey League level. He spent most of the year with Redding in, in the ECHL. What are your thoughts on those two guys' seasons, and what does, that, uh, what does the seasons that they have had uh, do to project what the Flyers might do next year in terms of their overall goaltending uh, situation? We have a, lot, a long way to go until we get to whatever next year is, but the Flyers uh, will have to figure out who their – number two goaltender will be at the NHL level, whether they continue with Ryan Elliott or go in some other route. Um, what were your thoughts on what those guys showed the organization? Uh, I think the news to Manko really opened a lot of eyes. Um, he turned 21 midway through the season. He's the, he's the same age as Carter Hart. So he's a very young goaltender for the pro level. Um, in in Ustamenko's case, he had to make the transition from the uh, European size ranks to the, to the, North American size rinks, which of course are smaller. It's learning different angles, learning to play, you know, learn to handle the puck a lot more than you would over in the European leagues where there's more room behind the net. So goalies tend not to play the puck as often. Um, and the, the language barrier getting settled in off the ice. I mean, all, all those things were things that Usamenko was dealing with. Um, he played very, very well for, uh, for Reading to the point, as you said, where they, where the organization actually cleared out Barube uh, earlier than they, they, otherwise might have he might have finished the year uh otherwise and you know gone whatever way he was going to go after the season but they wanted to see Ustamenko in some AHL games and with the Phantoms struggling it was a good opportunity to bring him up to you know bring him up a level um and I mean he still has a learning curve ahead of him he's still pretty raw but you, you can see you know you can see his athleticism you can see how good he is on, on breakaways for example he was a good shootout goaltender. Um, he, he battles for second saves. Um, there are still a lot of things mechanically he's still working on improving. But, uh, you know, for a guy who made the jump from really from Russian junior hockey because, he you know, he didn't have any KHL experience to speak of to going from Russian junior hockey to playing in the American Hockey League a year later. And, you know, he, uh, he held his own at least. He, he wasn't completely overwhelmed. I, I think that bodes very well for a goalie who's as young as he is. Um, it was only in the first year of his entry entry level contract, so there's a you know there's there's a lot of time. There's no rush of them whatsoever. I think he'll be part of the the Phantoms tandem next season. Um, in, in the case of Felix Sandstrom, you know he he's a more experienced goaltender. Um, he this was actually the second year of his entry level deal, although he uh, although it was his first year in North America. 
Um, you know, Felix, you, you can't always just go by, by numbers. I mean, his, uh, his numbers in the ECHL were, no question, a little less than, than um, Felix himself would have liked to have seen, the organization would have liked to have seen. Um, you know, a lot of it is that he's a very technically sound goaltender, but you know, he relies so much on his positioning. And uh, he had he had a significant struggle making an adjustment to the uh, to the North American pro level, where you know, sometimes you have to improvise on things. Sometimes you have to you know adjust on the fly when you're making the second save. And he he has athleticism, you know. He I mean that was always been one of his good traits. But uh, I think he needs to make a little better use of that athleticism. Um, you know, making making the first save a little, a little bit more cleanly with with more consistency. And the other thing, too, with Felix, and this was something that I think even was the case in Sweden a little bit, he was a competitive goaltender to the point of being sometimes he would let a goal that he didn't like um, bother him, and it could snowball a little bit. There were, I think there were some games even in Reading that were like that this year. Um, so will they go into next season with Sandstrom and Ustamenko as the tandem, or will they bring in another veteran goaltender? Uh, I, I think that either route as possible. They might want another veteran goalie just as a little bit of insurance. Um, Alex Lyon is a free agent, unrestricted free agent this summer. Uh, I think Alex would like an opportunity to have a chance to play for an NHL team, if, whether it's as a backup or, or, you know, whatever the case might be. Uh, we know he's a, a solid, proven AHL starter. Um, I, I think if, if a situation were to work out where, you know, maybe Alex would come back for a year, and you go go with uh, you know go with Alex and, and one of the other two. You might see that. It, it's also so I, I think it's pretty fluid. I, I think that you you know you could see any of those possibilities. Um, it, it's always you know it's always to me good practice to have a veteran just because of the NHL level. If you do have a guy go down, you know it's nice to be able to have a guy like Alex who you could call up and you know can win you a game when you need to. Sometimes. You know, I, I don't think that either Ustamenko or Sandstrom this season were ready for that type of responsibility. Um, you know, and would they be ready for that in, a, you know, another six months out or whatever the case might be? Hopefully, but but you don't know for sure. I mean, goal goaltending development is one of the trickiest things in this sport. But um, but I think that, you know, you, you can be philosophical about how Sandstrom came along this year and, and look for better things next season, hopefully. And I, and I think the Rosé should be very happy with uh, how Usameko came along this first year, came along a, a long way. All right, we'll move on to uh, the amateur ranks, the juniors and the colleges. And uh, I figured we'd start with uh, three guys that the Flyers have signed now to entry-level contracts. Uh, all of this coming in the month of March, from right before the pause in the season to the end of March, the Flyers uh, secured Wyatt Wiley, Tanner Lisinski, and Wade Allison all to uh, entry-level contracts after their various amateur careers came to a close, uh, the latter two of which uh, came when the NCAA uh, shut everything down in uh, in March. Let's talk about those guys. Uh, what do the Flyers have coming to Lehigh Valley, presumably, uh, in terms of what they can uh, bring to the table as they start their pro careers? We'll start with Tanner. Um, I think Lashinsky might not need very long at all in the American Hockey League. A little bit older of a player. Um, he's a guy who was used to being at the top end of the lineup, you know, at the uh, collegiate level. He can play center. He can play wing. He's not the fastest skater around, but he's big and strong, and he's a very smart hockey player. 
Um, I, I think the role that he played for Team USA at the World Juniors um, several years ago would be more likely to be his NHL role, whereas in, in collegiate hockey, you know, he's a guy who plays in the power play and, you know, first-line guy. I, I think more likely he'd be a guy who played in your bottom six, um, but he could be a versatile player who, you know, you might be able to plug in a little bit higher in the lineup. Um, he has the ability, as I said, to play either center or wing. So, you know, you can plug him in where you need him. Um, solid two-way player. And uh, just, a, just a generally smart, solid, all-around hockey player. I don't think he's going to light up any pro league offensively, although he's been a good offensive player at the uh, collegiate level. But that's a guy who, you know, I, I think might be the, the closest of, the, of those three guys to uh, challenge for an NHL roster spot. Um, whether he would need some time first in the American Hockey League, that's also a possibility. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's a name you'll hear a lot of come training camp. Um, Wade Allison, if, if not for injuries, I think Wade might have turned pro a couple of years earlier. Um, unfortunately, he had a torn ACL and he had, um, you know, other various physical issues as well. Um, power forward, plays an aggressive style, very heavy shot, um, pretty good goal scorer in general. And that's a guy who you look for, you know, some offense from maybe as a, maybe even as a top six kind of guy who, who you know, could contribute on a, on a power play situation. Biggest thing for him is just how much time he's missed, you know, um, between, between the ACL tear and then missing most of his, uh, most of his junior season as well. And having some unrelated injury issues this season as a senior, you know, that's a, that's a lot of time missed at the collegiate ranks. Um, you know, the, the equivalent of maybe about, about a season and a half worth of games that he missed. So um, over, over his final three seasons in college. So uh, he may need some time in the AHL just to get his bearings under him, um, you know, work on the work in his 200 foot game and, and all those kind of things. But there's no doubting his competitiveness. He's a good skater, particularly for you know, a, a bigger guy. And again, he has a, a big, heavy shot. So that's a, you know, that, that's a name who I think that, uh, a lot of people were excited that uh, he did sign his entry-level deal. Either either he or Lashinsky would have had the option um, uh, of seeking free agency had they chosen not to sign. So that's um, you know those those are two guys who I think that uh, could compete for spots in the relatively near future. Uh, you mentioned Wyatt Wiley. Uh, in Wiley's case, um, you know he's had a really solid junior career the last couple of years. He's been a little bit of a late bloomer at the Western Hockey League level. Um, a little like Lashinsky, I think you're going to see his role change at the, uh, at the pro level. Uh, he played uh, a lot of power play this past year for Everett. He was uh, Carter Hart's old teammate actually there. Um, in, in talking to Brent Flair, I think the organization sees him more as a defensive defenseman at the pro level. The guy will kill, kill penalties, block some shots, uh, play with a lot of heart and soul, be a, you know, he was a leadership type. He wore a letter, you know, for uh, for Everett. Um, was definitely part of their leadership group. Even, even in even going back a year further, um, you know, when the team seemed to be in a transitional phase after Carter Hart left, he was a, a big part of their blue line. Um, I, I I think he'll spend at least a full year in the American League. Um, there's no rush with him either. The Flyers do have, you know, a pretty good amount of depth on the blue line and some younger players as well. Um, I, I think ultimately you'll see Wiley be more of a, uh, you know, anywhere from a fourth, fifth, or sixth defenseman uh, at the NHL level. 
but a guy a guy who will kill some penalties and, and play just a, a solid game. He moves the puck decently. You know, he's not uh, you know he's not uh, spectacular with the puck, but he's he's a solid all around hockey player. Um, he's a guy who the Flyers had to sign. He was actually he actually would have been eligible for the American League this year just because he was a little bit of an older player. Um, I think spending an extra year in the Western Hockey League turned out to be the best thing for him. Um, and I think you'll see him you know, as a regular in the Phantom starting six a year from now. Um, there was also a fourth guy, of course, the Flyers signed as well uh, from Sweden. They signed, they signed uh, Lena Sandin, um, the older brother Rasmus Sandin, the, the very good uh, Toronto Maple Leafs young defenseman. Uh, Linus is a, uh, is a forward. Um, he can play center, play wing, but he's primarily a winger. Um, and uh, good, another good, solid two-way player, um, strong in the walls. I, I liken him a little bit to stylistically, uh, stylistically a little bit like Oscar Lindblom, uh, just to, just in the way that he plays. Uh, I, I would say upside-wise, he could be similar to a Michael Roffel type, who you can plug in different spots in the lineup. You know, he's he's physically strong. He'll battle in the trenches. He'll do a lot of the little things for you. And um, at least this year in the in the Swedish Hockey League, he scored quite a few goals too. I think the goals might take some time to come at the, the pro level. But I, that's a guy who I think would be groomed over time to be a, a penalty killer, um, a versatile guy who you can move pretty much to any line in the lineup the way, the way the Michael Roffle has been. And, um, you know, it's, it's a short-term commitment as well because as, a, as a, uh, an older player, it's a shorter entry-level deal. Um, so if, if it doesn't work out, so be it. And if it clicks, you know, you might have a nice role player. So obviously the uh, NCAA and junior seasons kind of screeched to a halt along with everything else, and they will uh, will not restart. And uh, who, who knows what uh, – what the future holds for for those leagues i'm sure they all have their own concerns about getting things going again and uh, trying to figure out what the next step is but uh, looking back on the 1920 season in terms of the players that were uh, in those leagues uh, other than the ones we've just discussed uh, what were some of the highlights there as far as flyers prospects some of the guys that have been picked in the last few years that had pretty good campaigns wherever they might have been I think you'd have to start with the Flyers' first and second round picks from, from last year. Um, I think that uh, Bobby Brink had a really good freshman collegiate year at Denver. And Cam York had a, had a fine freshman season um, for Michigan. Actually played for the uh, Team USA at the World Juniors, or at least he was on the roster because he barely played this year. I, I think with York, you just have to keep in mind that it wasn't the best of years for Michigan. Um, so a, a team as a whole really wasn't getting many goals. And, you know, he, he might have had a lot more assists. Guys had trouble finishing a lot of the chances. Um, I, I think as a, a true freshman, he had, a, he had a solid year. No questioning his, his offensive upside. I mean, he, the Flyers project him as being a, a power play defenseman, maybe even a first unit guy in the NHL, and then, you know, not too terribly distant future. Um, outstanding wheels. Um, Although he's small, and that's, that's one of the areas why he needs a second season, he needs a sophomore year in college, is that uh, he's, he definitely is going to have to add some muscle to his frame. Um, you know, maybe not a you – know, he's never, he's never going to be a, a big hulking player. He's never going to be a Chris Pronger type physically. But, but he definitely has room to add some strength to his frame. Um, and just, uh, just 
keep on going. I, I think a year from now you'll see him, you know, as a 19-year-old, he'll be the only he'll be the only guy who's an 18-year-old in this year's uh, World Junior team who's returning because uh, the rest of the defensemen were 19 years old. So I think he'll play a, a key role at the World Juniors next year for the American team. Um, I know you'll see that his numbers will continue to grow with the uh, – you know, at the collegiate level, and they were pretty solid this year for, for a freshman. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he's a very exciting prospect. Um, you know, he's uh, there, there's a reason why the Flyers picked him where they did, and they left some very good forwards on the board. Um, York was the number one defenseman on a U.S. national development team program that uh, had 18 guys drafted in a single year, and, and actually all six of their top defensemen were, were drafted. York was the number one defenseman on that roster. So, um, says says a lot about his talent level and, and his level of upside. Um, I think he's just going to get better and better. Uh, in, in Brink's case, I think he said you know he was also he was also a player on that World Junior team this year, and um, you know I thought he I thought he played very well uh, for for an 18 year old. Um, very creative player offensively. Excellent hands, really good passer, uh, a, a nice finishing touch as well. Um, you know he's. There were some knocks in his skating, being a combination of being a small guy, and he, he's uh, he's often the smallest guy on the ice um, in any given game he plays. Not not, not all that different from Cole Caulfield in, in that respect, in that both guys are you know, very small players, but they make up for it in other ways. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the combination of being a small guy who's not the most blessed natural skater um, probably knocked Brink down a lot, but but I think his skating was knocked, you know, I think the, the knocks on his skating were actually out of line with the reality. I, I think that uh, he did just fine, actually, skating-wise. And I think he's getting better and better in that respect. Um, you know, when you're as small as he is, you're, you're going to end up in some physical mismatches. Nothing intimidates him. Uh, he really competes hard, and he, and he works, you know, not to be a liability when he doesn't have the puck. It's definitely going to be, a, you know, an ongoing thing for him as he eventually turns pro, as it was for, you know, a guy like Danny Briere. When you're, when you're, a, when you're that small, you know, there are going to be some situations you're at a physical disadvantage. But, you know, he, he makes up for it in other ways. Again, it's competitiveness. Uh, I think long-term he has some leadership potential. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no substitute for hands or ice fishing, and those are both outstanding. So, you know, those are the two guys from the, the uh, collegiate level that really jumped out this year. So obviously, uh, again, with everything being so uncertain, one of the things that is uh, uncertain at this point is the 2020 NHL draft. Uh, it is really one of those things where it's going to have to wait and see how long everything else happens. There was a push, of course, to perhaps have it in the normal time frame of the uh, end of June, but that seems to have gone by the wayside the Flyers are not uh, a lottery team, obviously, which is uh, a good thing from the perspective of the current team. Um, some of the other teams that aren't going to be in this uh, 2014 playoff are now going to prepare for uh, the draft exclusively pretty much with the, the uh, first part of a lottery coming up at the end of June. Uh, but the Flyers uh, will move into this, uh, into this NHL draft more than likely with a pick in the final 10 spots of the first round and then moving forward from there. Um, what have you seen from the, uh, the group of players that will be available in this draft? And uh, what are some of the needs the Flyers might try to fill uh, in this, again, a very early look at a potential draft, but uh, when it does come along, 
uh, some of the things the Flyers might be looking to do. Well, I, I think that the organizational philosophy is, and it still is the case. Uh, Brent Flyer said that you know it'll be a a best available player selection. So whether you know whether it's a center or a winger or a defenseman, I, there are some good goalies in this draft too. But I don't think they'll go in that direction. Um, you know, in, in the first round, it's just such a crapshoot with drafting goalies that early. But um, you know, I, I think there's a number there's a number of ways they can go. Um, this draft, uh, you know, the consensus is that it's a decent draft. It's, uh, you know, maybe not a, as – maybe it's not a superstar draft in terms of, you know, who's available after the first couple of picks. But it's um, – you know, but the Flyers should get a solid player whether they're, whether they're picking 22nd. Hopefully, hopefully they're picking 31st, right? That would be, that'd be what we're all rooting for, picking 31st. But, um, you know, but in that range, really, there's not much difference between picking in the 20s and picking, you know, 31st or in the uh, mid to high 20s. It's, uh, you know, you're going to get about the same player. And it's just a question of where you rank different guys. Um, you know, as we get a little closer, we, we can talk about some, some names that are available. Um, but they're, you know, usually I, I think just as generic player descriptions, you know, you're talking about some guys who've had some injury issues. Um, who might have gone a little higher. Um, some guys who were uh, maybe a little more offense was expected from them this year. And, you know, there's some questions, okay, is this guy going to be a, a third-line guy or is he going to continue to develop and be, be a front-line guy? There, there was a guy who uh, was actually a teammate of Morgan Frost's uh, for the Sioux Greyhounds who, who fits that category. Uh, bigger guy, good skater, good all-around skills. They were looking for, I think, more offense from him this this year in his draft year than he – he ended up supplying, or at least on a consistent level. Um, and then there, are, then there's a number of pretty solid defensemen, uh, maybe not guys who you project as superstars, but maybe second pairing types, good wheels, guys who move the puck well. Um, again, as as we uh, as we move along here and we do future programs and we do narrow down as to exactly where the Flyers will be picking, you know, we can we can discuss some of the names that might be out there. But I think it, as player types, that's a, a pretty good description as to uh you know the types of players that might be available you know where the flyers will pick in the bottom third of the first round should be solid players probably no slam dunks for uh superstars and also guys who are going to need additional seasoning in junior hockey when you're picking there it's not typical to get a guy who's going to jump right to the pro level that's not what the flyers are looking for they're looking long term absolutely well, I think that'll about do it for this edition of Prospect Pipeline. Not 100% sure when our next one will come along here, but uh, uh, in the meantime, we'll have all the other uh, Flyers Broadcast Network channels for you starting to rev back up again and be very, very active, we hope, here over the next few months as we start to ease toward a potential return to play maybe in the month of July and uh, see what this very, very unique summer of 2020 holds for us and then uh, – you know, once we get past that point, we'll be starting to get back going with these, uh, with these podcasts and draft preparation and everything else that's going to go along with uh, whatever the hockey world deems to be the new normal here come the fall months and whenever everything gets, gets back going in the leagues outside the National Hockey League. We'll have, of course, all of that for you as we roll along. Bill, thanks very much for jumping in on this perspective, and we look forward to hearing everything you've got to say about uh, everything else that's coming down the line for the Flyers. Thanks, Brian. It's a lot of fun.
Again, continue to keep in touch with us here at the Flyers Broadcast Network for everything regarding the Flyers' return to play here as things start to ramp back up toward the uh, 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs, which hopefully are going to be just a few short weeks away. For Bill Meltzer, I'm Brian Smith. Have a great day, everybody. The preceding program is an original production of the Flyers Broadcast Network. You can find this and other programs available on demand at flyersbroadcastnetwork.com.